Amen. Good morning. How are we doing? I'm glad that you guys are back from fall break. Uh, last week it was a little thin in here. Uh, so congratulations on wherever you went or having a lazy Sunday. Congratulations on that as well. Uh, we're glad to have everybody back. We are in a series called Entrusted, and we've been walking through a conversation about work and about money. And I've said this every week in case somebody just shows up in the middle of this series. Uh, this is not a manipulative message for me to get a new boat. Uh, this is not a tricky way for the church to load up its coffers so that we can have more money and make our millions. Uh, this is not a plan on us. There is no uh, trick at the end. There's no, hey, we're doing a capital campaign at the end and we need you to get out your checkbooks. Uh, none of those things. We just finished our fiscal year. We finished above budget, ahead of budget, um, it, which is amazing because we took, we, it, we coming out of COVID, I, I just want to recognize this because I think it plays into what we're talking about today because we're talking about investment and return. Coming out of COVID, uh, our church's finances were not amazing. Can I just say that? Is that all right for us to say that? Uh, everybody knows that during COVID, we kind of lost some people in the church. People were kind of in and out. People were not here every week. It, uh, financing across the, the nation in the American church, um, the, the numbers are starting to come out now. About 33% of people in the American church left the church during COVID um, never to return, or at least not to return yet. Uh, so we're praying for those folks uh, that they find their way back. But as 33% of the people left the church, 33% of funding left the church as well. And so coming out of COVID, we had this decision to make as a board and as a family and as a church to decide, like, what do we do? What do we ask? And we decided to take a risk. We increased our budget by $100,000, trusting that the Father was going to show up, that, that God was going to bless, that he was going to provide, and believing that sometimes when we invest in the right things and when we take risks, uh, the Lord shows up. And so we just finished our fiscal year. We are ahead of budget with our stretch budget that was a risk for us for the year. And God provided more than enough, which is amazing. And so we're really grateful for your generosity, um, really grateful for the way in which this church has always stepped up and provided and given everything that we need for today. And so we're going to be talking about investment and return. We started week one talking about our passions, our purpose. Uh, so we got a little grid here. Um, we started talking about this. We talked about our work. And we started talking about what we want to do in our work is we want to align our passion, uh, the, the good work that's been prepared for us in advance to do, we want to align that with our power, our giftedness and our abilities uh, that God has given us. And in there, we find our purpose. We find our why and our how, and we lean into our purpose. But the sad number that came out is only 20% of American Christians believe they actually are living out the good work that's been prepared for them in advance. We call that our kingdom dream. So that means 80% of the church is not doing the one thing that God created them to do. And so we wonder why the church is anemic or why it feels like the church is struggling in America or why it feels like we're not getting the breakthrough that we had hoped for or wanted to. Well, one of the reasons why is because 80% of the people in the church are, are not living out their kingdom calling. So we talked about work, and we talked about this desire for us as a church to awaken kingdom dreams. We want you to know the good work that's been prepared for you into, in advance. We want you to live into that, and we also want to invite you to awakening others to living into their kingdom calling, into their kingdom dream. That's the purpose of our church. 
We believe that the church is an equipping place, that our job as a church is to equip you to live the work that Jesus would call you to throughout the other seven days a week and not just on Sunday. And so our vision is not, let's fill this room every Sunday, let's do a really great worship service, let's have good programs and services, and let's create a really good social club. Our, our, our purpose and vision is we want you to live the life that you are called to live. And we want to come alongside of you and equip you and walk beside you so that you can do the thing that you have been called to do and you can live into your power, passion, and purpose. Then last week, uh, when, when everyone was gone, uh, I was here. Uh, there were three of us. There was three of us last week. The three of us had a great conversation uh, about theology around money. And so we threw up this grid and we talked about this idea of our, when we talk about money in the church, it always falls into one or two theological categories. We either have a mindset of prosperity that says, because I am rich and have money, I am righteous, or we have a model of poverty which says, because I am poor and don't have money, I am holy. And we broke that down and talked about that, uh, about the real theology and the real kingdom impact uh, of money and, and, and how we talk about money and what we do with our money and the challenges of money. Uh, it's amazing, guys, how many scriptures are about money. It's amazing how much Jesus talks about money. Uh, almost a third of Jesus' teachings are about money in some capacity. And in the church, we don't know how to talk about that. Because we're afraid, right? We're afraid that everybody's going to think this is just a manipulative scheme for me to get new, some more money for the church so that we can get a, I don't know, whatever the church needs. We need some laser lights and smoke machines up in here, right? That's, that's what's going to bring breakthrough for this community, right? You know what Cobb County needs? Laser lights. Uh, we, we always think that there's some kind of something involved in this that's going to that's gonna think it's manipulative. And so we're afraid to talk about money. And then some of us, we're, we're, either, we're either afraid to have money or afraid to not have money. And so we, uh, if you haven't been there for the first two weeks, you can go back to the podcast. You can listen to those. You can go back and watch online and, and pay attention to those because I think those are foundational in what we build as we talk about work and money. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to do things a little bit differently, uh, and I know that this is going to be hard for some of you, but remember when you were in youth group as a kid and what the youth pastor would do when he didn't do his work, Grant, you know this, right? When the youth pastor didn't, we wasn't really prepared, this is what he would do. He would be like, hey, we're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to read a passage in a group together and we're going to talk about it. Remember when that used to happen? Did you know that that was because the pastor wasn't prepared, right? That that was, that was what was going on. I promise you I'm prepared this week. But I felt a sense that we're going to talk about the parable of the talents today. And so if you have your Bibles or your phones that have Bibles on them, or if you want a Bible, put your hand in the air, and we've got people in the back that will distribute Bibles. So just put your hand up, and we'll hand you a Bible. We're going to talk about Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. And, and here's what I want you to do. In just a minute, I'm going to have you split up into some groups. And so it, it, this is all introvert, extrovert stuff, right? So if you're an introvert and you came with somebody and you don't want to meet anybody else, just put your head down when it's time and get right into that Bible. And you can just stay with the people that you're with or you can model to everyone else that you are not available for friendship right now. 
I do this every time I get on an airplane. I put the headphones on immediately. I signal to everyone, I do not want to talk to you. I just want to get through this flight and get home. You can do that right now with your Bible if you're an introvert. If you're an extrovert and you're like, friends, I want to make friends. I need to make friends. Uh, Then look around for other people that are looking around and say, hey, why don't we gather in a group together? And we're just going to read this passage together. It's Matthew chapter 25. Verses 14 through 30, it's the parable of the talents. And I want to just say a couple different things about it today. Um, A talent is a measurement. So some of your your versions of scripture will say the, uh, the, the owner gave away bags of gold. How many of yours, as you're looking at it right now, it says bags of gold, all right? Some of you say bags of gold. How many of you say it says talents in it? All right, so there's a mix in, in the group. I prefer talents uh, because I think it's better interpreted. Um, a talent is a measurement. And what's interesting about a talent is it's not a measurement of money. It's not like $100. It's not like a denarii. It's not like a minas, as Scripture talks about. These are equivalents of money. It's like $100 or $1,000 or a $1 million. It's those kinds of equivalents. This is just a measurement. It's like a pound, is what it means. So it's open to interpretation what this means. Now, somebody obviously believes it's gold, right? Because that's what our interpretations say. I like to think that the best way, it's fairly nondescript, but the best way to describe it is not it's about gold and money, and also not that it's about your actual talents, right? So a lot of times this passage is preached as if talents means what talents mean for us, Right? So you may have a talent of singing. You may have a talent of basketball. You may have a talent of knitting. Right? I don't know what your talent is, but it's preached in, through that lens, and it's said, like, you've got you to take advantage of the talents that you have. Uh, I think that's an unfaithful interpretation. I also think gold and money is a fairly unfaithful interpretation of all of this. Here's what I want you to think about when you think about talents. Talents is about opportunities, and responsibilities. So the owner in this passage is handing out opportunities and responsibilities to different people and determining how it works. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? All right. We'll talk more about it, but here's what I want you to do. We're going to give you five minutes. Five minutes on the clock. You got five minutes to work together to read through the passage. Have somebody read the passage, and then I want you to just answer this simple question. What does this passage teach us about investment and return? All right? Real simple question. What does this passage teach us about investment and return? I believe in you guys. You can do this. Go. Maybe we can get some music going.
All right. Let's bring it back in here. Well done, extroverts. I can tell that you're winning right now. Good work, good work. Some of you made some friends, go to lunch with each other and you can talk more about it, but right now I'm gonna talk for the next 20 minutes, all right? Here, here's, here's what I, I wanna ask some questions, all right? I, I, I want us to interact with the Bible in different ways, and, and, and one of the ways I want us to get in the habit of doing is just interacting in Scripture together. I, one of the core values of our community is that we hear the whisper, which means we co-discern what God is saying, and we, ha- we have a high, high value of this idea of co-discernment, that we learn best in community, that we learn best through each other and with each other and connecting. And so sometimes when you're listening to a sermon, you're listening to just one guy's input. And my input can be flawed and it can be messed up and it can be wrong and all of those different things. And so we want to gather in and make sure we're taking the collective wisdom of the entire community. So with that said, in the parable of the talents, what did the slaves receive according to? They received their talents according to what? Their abilities, Right, which would be weird if they were given abilities according to their abilities, right? Uh, and so they were given according to their abilities. Uh, what were the numbers? Do you remember the numbers that was distributed? Five, two, and one. If you're the guy that gets one, what are you thinking? I didn't get as much as the guy that got five, right? I wish I was the guy that got five. That would have been better. Those kinds of things. Uh, what, does the, what does the faithful uh, servant do with his talents? Invest, trades, what does he get? A return, gets more. What does the unfaithful servant do? Hides it, buries it. What does he get? Nothing. Uh, So the reward is more opportunities and more responsibilities, right? I'm gonna put you over many things. I'm gonna give you a level of authority. So I wanna give us just three really clear points about Investment and, and whether it's you're taking this today and thinking about your financial portfolio, that's fine. If you want to take talk about gold and think about it in that way, because it applies to that. Or if you're thinking about your opportunities or responsibilities, or even if you're thinking about your own giftedness and talents and abilities, all of these things work for this passage. Um, but but here's what I want us to understand first. First is God distributes unequally. We work faithfully. That's not the funnest point that I could bring as my first point, right? It's not the funnest thing to know that somebody's getting five and I'm getting one. Somebody's getting 20 and I'm getting three, right? It's like when Jesus sends out the 72 and he's like, I'm sending you out. He sends, he sends the disciples out. He's like, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. He hands out their assignment and tells them where they're going and, and all of them get these different places. And then they, they're looking at it. So they got their little slip and it says Corinth or, or, or uh, all the different cities that they could go to. And then he says, woe to you, to certain cities, right? Woe to you, Corinth. Woe to you. All of these different places. And there's some dude that's holding the city where he says, woe to you. Right? He's just sent him out and he's like, woe to this city. This city's awful. But you're going to Detroit, right? Like, that's where you're headed. Like, this is what he does. Some of you are going to San Diego. Like, you guys, San Diego. You guys, Detroit. I'm sorry. Right? 
That's what he does. It's, God, God distributes unequally. But regardless of the distribution, what we're called to is faithfulness. Regardless of how much he's given, we work faithfully trusting that God is faithful. And so opportunities and responsibilities will not always look like the kingdom, but sometimes they will. Sometimes our opportunities and responsibilities are just financial. There's an opportunity that I have, and this opportunity will grow my wealth, and that's a good thing, so I'm going to step into that. Sometimes it's a kingdom opportunity. I have an opportunity to spread the gospel. I have an opportunity to create influence or favor or connection with somebody that I didn't have influence or favor or connection with before. And so I'm going to take those opportunities and I'm going to take those responsibilities. Regardless of how much we have, there seems to be a request for us to invest properly. So sometimes we read these passages and we think, well, pastor, I don't have $100,000 sitting around waiting to invest it. That's not what this passage is about. This is not a passage for high wealth individuals who are looking to grow their financial portfolio. This is a passage for followers of Jesus who are looking to grow the kingdom. Does that make sense? Rewind, let's rewind just a few chapters. If you go to Matthew chapter 20, Verse 13, Jesus tells the story of a bunch of workers who gather together. And these workers gather together and they go out in the fields and they work all day. And at the end of the day, the, the owner, the, the, the person that hired them, starts to distribute the check. And let's say Ryan and Caden both worked. Ryan worked all day because he's a hard worker. Caden is still a teenager and doesn't know how to work, so he worked for one hour, right? And so they gather up, and they're ready to collect their wages, and what, Ryan comes and gets his wages, and I'm like, Ryan, here's 100 bucks. Thanks for working all day. And I'm like, Caden, here's 100 bucks. Thanks for working an hour. This is the parable that Jesus tells. And Jesus says, the guys like Ryan, who worked all day, are upset. They're like, why am I getting paid the same wages that the guy who worked an hour worked? That's not fair. That's not equitable. That's not right. That's not what it's supposed to be. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Matthew chapter 20, verse 13, it says, But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. See, oftentimes what we want God to do is we want him to be equitable and fair with everything. We want everything to be distributed equally. So when I see the story of the talents, I would love for there to be four people and each of them get two talents. That seems better, doesn't it? If everybody just got the same, but that's not how it works. And to be frank, I don't know how it works. I don't know why God gives some opportunities and responsibilities to others that he doesn't give to me. I don't know why he gives some opportunities and responsibilities to me that he doesn't give to others. I don't know necessarily how this works, but I do know this. We want fairness, and sometimes things aren't distributed equally. My wife and I went to dinner last night. We've got a, a restaurant that we used to go to in Ohio. Um, there, there's not many restaurants in Ohio. So Ohio is like there's, there's Applebee's and Applebee's, right? There's, there's just not a lot going on in Ohio. Atlanta, we're doing pretty good with the food. Um, but sometimes we, we have these places that we go to that are just uh, nostalgic. Does that make sense? They're just like, we grew up going to this restaurant. 
We love going to this restaurant. There's a place by the Perimeter Mall called J. Alexander's. It's a chain. Um, some of you have been there. Uh, they have them in Ohio. They have one in Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio has zero nice restaurants. They have McDonald's, Applebee's, and J. Alexander's, right? So every time there's an occasion for the Hardman family growing up or for the Williams family, my wife's family growing up, we would go to J. Alexander's. When we started dating in Ohio, we went to J. Alexander's. It was the only place to go to, so that's where you'd go. And so last night, we went out to dinner and we had to go to the Perimeter Mall because we were doing some shopping for children and doing some things there. And so we go and, uh, and we go to J. Alexander's. Now, J. Alexander's, if, if you've not been there, it's great, good place, not the best in the world, but it's good. Uh, but the, the thing that you want at J. Alexander's is the carrot cake. It's the only thing that matters. It's the most significant thing there. They have steak, they have prime ribs, they have salads, they have drinks, they have all those things. But what you're there for is the carrot cake at the end. Uh, the carrot cake costs $8. It's worth every, it's, it's worth that investment, I promise you. It is well worth. I would, I would pay $16, right? I, it's worth that investment. We're at J. Alexander's last night. We finished our meal together. We get a text from one of our children that says, will you, will you bring me home carrot cake? And so we brought home the carrot cake and presented it to our children like heroes as we returned home <laughs> from our date. Children, look at how we have provided for you. Look at what we have brought Look at how much your father loves you. One of our children, I won't mention which one, just picked up a fork and just started getting in there, right? She had, oh, I just gave it away. <laughs> she had no concern about the fair, equal distribution of carrot cake, right? She didn't mind that she was going to take all of it and that her brother was going to get a tiny slice she was there to take it all, right? This is how we treat God's, God's gifts to us sometimes. It's like, I don't have much, so what I have, I have to grab and hold and hoard and eat all to myself really fast before my brother gets it. When the reality is, for many of us, the principle is this. He wants to give more to those of us who are faithful stewards. I don't know exactly how this works in the kingdom. I don't know how God decides his distribution of wealth and opportunities and responsibilities and bags of gold. I don't know how that always works. I think sometimes it works because some of us know how to make money and others of us don't. I think sometimes it works because others, some of us seek opportunities and responsibilities and we get them and others don't. But I think there is a principle at play here that says God wants to give to those who are faithful. And so the questions that we ask are, are we investing in the right things? Are we burying our opportunities and our responsibilities? Are we burying our wealth? Are we burying our talents? Are we burying the things that we have been given to us, or are we investing them? Are we saying, I see how this could work for the kingdom? I see how this can translate into something significant. I, I, I do this exercise sometimes with churches. I do some church consulting on the side, and, and I do this exercise with churches where I read the parable of the talents with churches and with board members, and then I ask them the question, I want you to rate how you use your church's finances in alignment to the parable of the talents, and would you give yourself a red light, a yellow light, or a green light? And 90% of the churches I talk to are yellow or red. Because we have this mentality with our money is that we gotta play it safe. 
We gotta store it up. We, we don't wanna risk. We gotta build our reserves. We gotta get our nest egg. We gotta invest in the right opportunities. Uh, and, and, and so we, we gather it all and we just keep building and building and building and building and building without ever giving it away, without ever investing it, without ever thinking of maybe this is a risk worth taking. Maybe this is an opportunity that we have to pursue even if it costs us something. Maybe this is a challenge that's worth laying it all out there for and getting, it at, getting after it. Um, we can trust God with our opportunities and our responsibilities. We can trust that he's good. Abraham Kuyper said this. He said, there is not one square inch of his creation that, lo- that our Lord Jesus Christ does not cry, mine, over. It's his. It all belongs to him. Every bit of it, whatever assignment, whatever responsibility, whatever opportunity, whatever work, whatever finance, whatever wealth, whatever talent, whatever ability you have been given, it has been given to you for a purpose, and the purpose that it has been given to you is so that you will invest it for the sake of others. You will invest it for the sake of the kingdom, and you will invest it for the sake of of others. And so we give away generously. So if my money, my opportunities, my responsibilities, my talents, my gifts, if they all belong to the Lord, then our second point is this. God is the owner. We are the managers. So we invest generously expecting a return. God is the owner and we are the managers. Can we say that together? God is the owner. We are the managers. Right? So if you're managing something, like we've got some wealth management people in here. That's what they do for a living. They manage other people's wealth. And they're not frivolous with it, right? If I go and take my money and give it to one of the guys in our, in our community that, that helps with wealth management, and I say, hey, here's, here's some money. I'm giving this to you. Will you invest this for me? They're not like, yeah, you know what? I had this idea. Let's invest it in Circuit City. Right? They're not just frivolous. They're not just throwing things around. They're not just thinking about those things. They're thinking about what's the best investment. So we invest in the right things. We invest in the church. We invest in mission. We invest in kingdom things. We invest in growing our wealth, but we don't ever spend someone else's money frivolously because if you do that, you're a bad person. And when we think about our own wealth, our own opportunities, our own responsibilities, and we think about how am I managing what the Father has given me? So this is one thing I've realized. uh, It's taken me a long time. I'm 47 years old. I've been a pastor for 27 years. And what I've realized in that time, finally, is that this church does not belong to me. I am a steward of this place. There will come a day when I will be gone and another pastor will be in here and I pray and hope that the church is in a better place when I hand it off to them than when it was when I received it and I pray that at the end of my days, the God looks at me and says, thank you for stewarding well what I, was, what I gave you. None of this is mine. None of this belongs to me. I am a steward of this platform. I'm a steward of this space. I'm a steward of the resources that the church has. I'm a steward of the land that the Father's given us. I'm a steward of all the things that the church has. Our job is to steward it. The same thing is true for all of us. The same thing is true in my personal life. I am a steward of 129 Infantry Way. Don't come to my house. I'm a steward of that property, right? I'm a steward of that place. I'm a steward of my paycheck that I get every week. 
I'm a steward of the gifts and the abilities that the Father's given me. I'm, I'm a steward of all these. I'm the manager and he's the owner. Which means I treat those things differently than if I owned them myself. I'm just stewarding it. I'm just taking care of it. Um, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, there's this great story of David. And David, you got to think about David's life. David is a shepherd, originally, who comes into immense wealth very quickly, right? So when David goes from shepherd to king, his bank account went a lot higher, right? So he was, you got to think about this, he was stewarding a few sheep in a field. And suddenly he was stewarding all of Israel. And Israel was doing really good. They were making Israel great again, right? They was doing really well at the time. Things were blowing up. Like, there was so much wealth. There was so much prosperity. There was so much opportunity. And so David has this thing where he's gathered all of this wealth for the first time in his life. And he starts praying. And he starts saying, Lord, I want to build you a temple. We've got all this wealth. And I've got this amazing place that I live. I don't know. It was the king's quarters. It's like the governor's mansion or something like that, but even better. So David's living in this extravagant, incredible house, and he says to God, I have this amazing house. I want to give you a house. I want to build you a temple. I want to build you an amazing place, and it's going to be better than all the temples before, and it's going to be gold and the cedars of Lebanon, and I'm going to gather all the resources from all over the world. I'm going to spare no expense to get everything that we need so that you have the greatest house ever built. It's the crystal cathedral. I'm going to build you the greatest thing ever. I'm going to get you all of it, God. And God looks at David, and this is what he says to him. He says, you did well to have that in your heart, but I never asked you to build me a home. In fact, your son is going to be the one that does this. I would be a little irritated if I were David. Because here's, here, this is my personality. You learn this in the Five Voices seminar if you want to come in. I like my ideas. <laughs> my ideas are always the best ideas. Are you with me? Right? My idea, I love my ideas, and I fall in love with my ideas, and, and I want my ideas to come to life. And so when I throw out ideas, I, I, I want them to happen, and I want them to take place, and I want to be a part of them. And, and God says to David, you did well to have that in your heart. It's nice that you were thinking about that, but I, I don't want you to do that. So that's me. I'm kind of like, whatever, God. I'll just, we'll just hang out for the next five years, and I'll sing some songs naked in the street or something like that, right? Like this, I don't know what I'm going to do. That was part of David's story. That wasn't part of my story. Right? <laughs> I would have pouted. I would have moved on to the next idea. I would have moved on to like, all right, if I'm not supposed to do that, this is what I'm going to do. You know what David does? David does something that is incredible, and it's something that I believe God is inviting every single one of us who follow him to do. David starts gathering all of the resources so that the next generation can build the thing that God wants them to build. So David starts gathering all the cedars from Lebanon, these big, giant, like redwood-type trees that were incredibly valuable and really hard to transport. He starts grabbing all of those. He starts grabbing all the gold and all the silver and everything that it takes to do this. He gives out $4.5 billion of Israel's money to build this. He gathers $160 million of silver. This is the equivalent of those things. Um, and then he asks the community, he says, I'm giving out of Israel. Like, the nation is paying for this. We're giving this. What are you going to give? 
Now, here's what happened. In, that, in those days, kings didn't ask. Kings don't run capital campaigns. Are you with me? Kings don't say, hey, we're trying to raise some money for something. Kings demand. Kings say, your taxes are going up. We're going to get $4.5 billion because each of you are going to give this much. That's what kings did in this time. David goes a different route. He says, listen, I think something's been entrusted to us. I think the next generation is going to build it. I think the next generation is going to see the fruit of it. I think the next generation are going to be the ones that are going to live and walk in the temple that we build. They're going to be the ones that get to worship there. But we get to gather it all up. We get to build so that the next generation can have. First Chronicles 29 verse 9, it says, The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David, the king, also rejoiced. Verse 14, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Listen to what he says here. Everything comes from you. We have only given you what already has come from your hand. We are the managers. He is the owner. We invest because he invites us to invest. And we don't always invest in what's beneficial to us in that moment. We live in a world that is fast and wants results immediately. Right? Everything is accessible to us in a second. At the click of a button, we can do anything. I found this company that delivers propane tanks to my house. I was really annoyed that I had to drive five minutes to the gas station and get them. And I found a button I can press, and they will leave them on my front porch the next day. And I will never go back to the gas station again with a propane tank. Right? This is the world that we live in. Everything, fast, immediate, now, right here. I want it right now. I want it quick. I want it. I want immediate results and God says, no, 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 no. I, I want you to invest. And sometimes what you invest in is you invest in the next generation so that they can win. Randy Alcorn said this. He said, God has never revoked his ownership. He has never surrendered his claim to his treasures. He didn't die and leave the earth to me or anyone else. It all belongs to him. He gave us authority and dominion but he did not give us ownership. You notice that? Even of his church, right? Jesus, uh, Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom and says, the keys to the kingdom is yours. You have, you have the keys to the kingdom. But he says, but I will build my church. It's still my church. I'm still the owner. You're the manager. This is the process that we walk into. Everything comes from you. And so here's my question. If all you have is his, then are you investing it properly? Because until we realize that God is the owner and we are the manager, nothing else the Bible says about money will make any sense to us. I want to make that really clear. Until you understand that God is the owner and we are the manager, nothing else the Bible says about money will make any sense to us. Because what the Bible says about money is not a way for us to grow our wealth portfolio. It's a way for us to grow the kingdom. And when we have the right ideas and the right responsibility and the right posture towards our finances, towards our opportunities, towards our responsibilities, towards our giftedness, breakthrough begins to happen in our own lives and for the kingdom and for others. Everyone flourishes. 
But when everybody believes in scarcity, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks, then suddenly we're all fighting over a small piece of the pie when our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Last is that we are seeking the greatest return on ours and God's investment. If we're his money managers, then he gives us finances and decides us, it tells us to decide what to do with it. Um, it's crazy how many times the Bible talks about returns. Do you know this? What it says is it says 10 times, 50 times, 100 times. Tenfold, 100-fold, all of those kinds of things. It's, it's crazy how often the Bible talks about this idea of returns. When you invest, you're going to get a 10 times return. That's a good investment. When you invest, you're going to get a 100 times return. If, if I could promise you today... If every one of you walked forward after the service and handed me $100, and I'm not a schemer, this is not, a, it's not a, I, and next week you're going to come back and I'm going to give you $10,000. i am going to give you a hundredfold on your investment. What are you going to do? You're going to invest it. I think some of you are going to be like, I don't even care if this guy's lying. I'm going to try. A <laughs> hundred bucks with the opportunity of $10,000? i will take that chance. I'll risk my hundred bucks for $10,000. This is a hundredfold. This is what scripture says, that sometimes when we invest in the kingdom, the results are a hundredfold. And here's what I want. Some of you are sitting there thinking, that's never worked for me. I've been tithing my whole life. I give my paycheck. I have never received a hundredfold return. I, have, I, I gave my hundred, and I did not get back 10,000. And I want you to know you're wrong. If you have given a penny to this church, you will receive a hundredfold investment. I promise you. I absolutely promise you. Sometimes our investment does not produce the return that we think, and sometimes it doesn't produce the return in the time that we think. But if we continue to invest and stop burying it, then something begins to happen. Jesus talked so much about this. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid again and then went in and with his joy sold everything he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything and he bought it. And here's the question. Are we willing to give away everything for something that will return a hundredfold? Are we willing to invest? Grace Family, Grace Family Churches has three pillars in which we built our ministry on and built the foundations of who we are. Um, we want to reproduce healthy growing churches. We want to catalyze movements in the Muslim world. And the one that brought me here is we want to raise up next generation leaders. I'll just be honest. That's my favorite. That's why I'm here. We want to raise up next generation leaders, which means this. We want to invest money, time, energy, effort, opportunities, and responsibility to the next generation. You know why we do that? Because we believe it produces 100 times return. There's a bunch of sixth graders meeting over here right now, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. There's a bunch of littles downstairs, elementary school kids. I want you to think about if we invest enough now that a first grader today accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, 
A first grader today says, all my life is yours. My life is a living sacrifice. It has been bought at a price. You are the owner. I am the manager. Everything I have is yours. And that first grader spends the rest of his or her life giving everything for the kingdom of God. Tell me we're not getting a hundredfold on our investment. Tell me that that's not reproducing at a rate that is far greater than anything we could imagine or we could expect. So we invest our time and energy in that. We invest in residents and fellows because we believe that when we raise up the next generation of church leaders, they're going to go lead churches and those churches are going to invest and those churches are going to produce a return and those, that's why we plant churches. Like, think about all the good things and amazing things that Grace Marietta has been able to do over the last seven years. Think about 10 Grace Mariettas in 10 different communities, 10 different Wheeler High Schools that are being blessed, 10 different people in the community that are receiving benevolence dollars and are being blessed and cared for. You invest in the church, and, and, and this is why I've spent my whole life investing in young leaders. This is why we give leaders a chance before they're ready to have chances. This is why we pour huge amounts of dollars and resources and time into young leaders. I actually believe this. This is a word that the Lord gave us when we first started here, and it's the one word that stuck with me forever. The evidence of our faithfulness isn't what happens today. It's the lives that our children will live. I'm not building the church for next week, guys. I'm playing the long game. I'm going to leave this church at some point. And when I do, somebody else is going to take over. And this church is going to continue for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, for 40 years, for 50 years. And our investments matter. That's why I'm confident. I'm, I'm 100% confident in giving more than 10% every year to this church because I'm 100% confident that it's going to produce 100-fold results. We gave away $85,000 this year as a church. It's good. Not amazing. It's good. Think about over the next 50 years, if this church gives away $85,000 every single year, that's $4.25 million that's given to spread the gospel, to give hope, to release the poor and the oppressed, to make a difference. There's a coming financial crisis in the church. Everybody knows about it. I talked about COVID earlier that about 33% of the wealth of the church has left in the last few years. Uh, along with that, the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of our country is going to happen over the next 15 years. Over the next 15 years, my parents' generation is going to give their wealth to my generation. My parents' generation, some of you are in that generation, we'll call you our seasoned leaders, some of you seasoned leaders, you grew up understanding that you give to institutions. You give to institutions because that's what's right. And so it's not a problem for you to write a check to a church every week because you, it's what you do. My generation gives to causes, not to institutions. My generation doesn't trust institutions at all. We don't actually believe that the church is going to invest our money in a proper way. We don't actually believe, and so we give to causes. Whoever tells the, boast, the best story gets the dollars. And so the largest transfer of wealth is going to happen in the next 15 years. You combine that with the um, loss of attendance in our young people. Our, 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 anybody in this room under the age of 25, it's unlikely that you're even in this room. 
Church attendance for people under the age of 25 is bottoming out completely. So you combine those two things together, and over the next 15 years, there's going to be this crazy, pivotal season of, like, what do we do? People are already feeling it and experiencing it. I talked to some leaders this week that were like, hey, the money in the church has dried up. 49% of pastors over the last two years have considered quitting their jobs. 22% of churches have closed their doors. 22% over the last five years. And those things are going to increase and are going to continue to happen. And here's the reality for us. We can just be another story like all of them. Or we can be like David. And we can say, you know what? I don't have much. I got my one talent. I got my one talent. It's all I got. But I'm investing it in the kingdom. And I'm not just investing in what the church is going to be next week. I'm investing in what this church is going to be like 50 years from now. I'm not investing in the Grace family right now with 11 churches. I'm investing, investing in the Grace family 20 years from now in 50 churches. And we invest it all. So here's the reality. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think, do you actually believe that a hundredfold kingdom return is possible? And I want you to ask the question, is there anywhere else in my life where I can give and receive a hundredfold? If you do, take it. <laughs> and then give 10% back to the church, right? <laughs> take those investments. I love, um, go be successful, y'all. We all win. Think about your investments. Do you have any kingdom investments or do you only have wealth and financial investments? Is there a treasure in a field somewhere that you're being called to risk it all for? And what does that look like? Does your current handling of your finances demonstrate a trust that God is the owner and that you are the manager? And here's my hope. My hope is that conversations break out all around our church. And listen, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying everybody has to start giving to the church immediately and we're gonna pass the plate now 45 times and we're gonna keep doing it until we have a certain amount. And I've been on that missions trip, right? We're not doing that. I am saying every single one of us in the room are responsible for the talents that we have been given. And the question is, are we going to be good stewards of it? Are we gonna be faithful? Are we gonna be generous? And man, I want our church to be generous, guys. I want us to grow in our capacity that we're giving away every year. I want us to grow in the percentage of dollars that's given away each year. This has been our goal from day one. We want to continue to be more generous. We want to scale back on just all the resources of what it takes to run a church. And we want to ramp up our efforts to love and serve and spread the gospel. And we want to give away generously. And I think it's possible. It's been so cool with our vision of Awakening Kingdom Dreams to see all the different visions and dreams of things that have been started. Over the past few years in our community, there's been a bunch of nonprofits that have been started for the first time. And they're not doing great things right now. Some of you are doing great things, sorry. You're, they're, not, they're not amazing right now, right? They're, they're, they're seeds that are just starting. But if they continue to invest 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, there's gonna be huge kingdom return on those things. There's been a bunch of micro churches. We've got these kingdom communities that have started all over the place. 
Every one of our kingdom communities has a purpose and a mission beyond just ourselves. It's not about let's get in a holy huddle and let's just become a social club so I can make more friends. It's about how do we actually generously give to the community around us and how do we love and serve. And some of those are just seeds right now. It's a little thing that's been planted. But I believe there's going to be a return on those things. So Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would teach us to be faithful. I pray that you would teach us to be good stewards. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the work that you're doing and the things that you're doing. I pray that we would be able to see the ways in which we've invested that's produced a hundredfold. And I pray that we would be generous with our money, that we would be generous with our opportunities, that we would be generous with our responsibilities, and that we would see breakthrough in our finances. I pray that we would see breakthrough in our opportunities and responsibilities. I, say, I pray that we would see breakthrough in the kingdom because of the way that you have blessed us and walked with us. And so, Lord, um, we just ask you to be with us. But I pray for your blessing on the next generation of this church. I pray for this church, not today. I pray for this church 20 years from now. I pray for this church 50 years from now. I pray for this church 100 years from now. And I pray that you will keep us afloat, that you will keep us moving, that you will keep us doing the things that you have called us to do, and that we will continue to bless and serve and care. And we promise that you'll get all the praise and all the glory. Bless our children, Lord. Raise them up to know you. Raise them up to serve you. Raise them up to do greater kingdom works than we ever could imagine or could hope for. I pray for the little one that's downstairs right now that's going to be a preacher. And I pray that you give him perseverance. I pray that you give them calling and I pray that you'd be gentle and kind with them. I pray for the little one downstairs that's going to be a missionary, that's going to travel to foreign lands, spread the gospel. I pray for clarity for them. I pray that you begin shaping their hearts right now for the good work that you've prepared them to do. I pray for the little one down there that's going to make a ton of money. Lord, let it be one of my kids. And I pray that you place in them a generosity right now that allows them to give generously without regard to self. Pray that you would teach them now to be great investors of the kingdom and that they would be behind the scenes making all kinds of kingdom things happen because of the wealth that you've given them. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you find us faithful in raising up the next generation pray that you would teach us to be like David, to gather all the resources for something that somebody else might build, and that you would bless us in the process. It's in Jesus' name.